0: You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the Rand Corporation. I'm Evan Banks.
1: And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from Rand's latest research and commentary. It's November 6th. As we record here at 10:30 AM on the East Coast, key states are still counting votes cast in a U.S. presidential election that saw massive turnout both on Election Day and via mail-in voting and early in-person voting, options that many states introduced to limit the spread of COVID-19. Former Vice President Joe Biden appears to be in the driver's seat, but no winner has been confirmed. It's been a stressful week, and so we're going to close today's show with some evidence-based tips on how to manage any election-related anxiety you might be feeling. We hope you'll stick around for that but let's start with some new-rand research on a fascinating
0: topic, the Internet of Bodies. The Internet of Bodies refers to smart devices that monitor the human body, collect personal information, and then transmit that data over the Internet. If you use a fitness tracker, that's an example of an Internet of Bodies device that's already on the market. But some of the emerging technologies in this area may sound like science fiction, Imagine digital pills that tell your doctor when you've taken your medicine. Or an artificial pancreas that automates insulin dosing for someone with diabetes. Or even smart diapers. Yes, smart diapers that alert parents when their baby needs to be changed. As you can tell, the Internet of Bodies, or IOB, could transform everything. Rand researchers have examined the potential benefits and risks of an IOB revolution. Their findings suggest that IOB devices have the potential to revolutionize healthcare by providing an unprecedented amount of personal health data that allows physicians to tailor treatment precisely to patients' needs. Here's the lead author of the study, Mary Lee, explaining what this could look like.
2: There are pills now that have an electronic sensor that let a healthcare provider know whether you have taken the medication. Other things like precision medicine, so Precision medicine is the idea of of creating pharmaceuticals or treatment like specifically for your body, for your personalized treatment. And I think IOB could really help with that because nowadays a lot of healthcare is is based more on, you know, average reactions whereas with data from IOB devices you might be able to to really more precisely treat a certain disease.
0: But the potential privacy security and ethical concerns loom large here's Mary Lee again
2: first of all there's there's the cyber risk of, of uh, you know of an actor potentially um, hacking into the system whatever it might be there's the privacy risk of all this data that's being collected and the regulations about that data are are really murky at the moment and so there's not a lot of clarity into who owns the data, what happens to it, who it gets sold to, how it's being used. And there's even potentially national security and global security risks.
0: Lee adds that policy tends to lag behind innovative technology. That means it's probably up to consumers and patients who may be using IOB devices to be aware of what's happening to their data and what regulations apply to the state where they live. Check out the interactive article on RAND.org to learn more about the Internet of Bodies, how these devices work, and their many potential risks and benefits.
1: Next week, the Supreme Court will consider another legal challenge to the Affordable Care Act, which includes provisions that protect people with pre-existing conditions such as diabetes and heart disease. If the court strikes down the ACA, then those protections will go with it. This possibility is especially meaningful as the pandemic rages on, with the U.S. again reaching record-setting numbers of daily infections this week. According to RAND experts, insurance companies could consider COVID-19 a pre-existing condition. Because there are chronic problems associated with some COVID-19 cases, insurers might put restrictions on anyone who had a confirmed case. Notably, COVID-19 has not spread evenly throughout the population. Black and Latino populations, low-income Americans, and essential workers have been particularly hard hit. So, in a world without the ACA, this could mean that the demographic groups most affected by COVID-19 will have the least access to affordable health care. The ACA may not be perfect, but its protections could be more important now than ever before. That's why policymakers should consider the implications for millions of COVID-19 survivors if the ACA is ruled unconstitutional.
0: A new RAND study finds that during the first two months of the COVID-19 lockdown, Americans dramatically reduced their use of preventative and elective health care. This reduction came despite an enormous increase in the use of telemedicine. And it stands to reason because many diagnostic procedures simply can't take place online. For example, the number of mammograms and colonoscopies dropped by more than 65% during this time period. Blood sugar tests also dropped by more than 50%. Vaccines among children under age 2 dropped by 22%, and angioplasty procedures dropped by nearly 17%. There was even a small drop in chemotherapy treatments. While delaying some of these procedures for a few months likely won't cause harm, skipping them entirely could lead to negative health consequences. The findings are based on medical records from more than 5 million Americans who have private health insurance. They add detailed evidence to the anecdotal reports that Americans quit going to see the doctor when the pandemic shutdown started.
1: Do Americans believe that limiting the spread of COVID-19 justifies the social and economic costs of physical distancing measures? To find out, RAND researchers conducted a survey designed to emphasize the perspectives of poor non-white populations, those disproportionately shouldering the social and economic burdens of the pandemic. Overall, respondents placed a high priority on health, even when limits to individual liberties and the economy were implied. For instance, only 25% of respondents somewhat or strongly agreed with the statement that quote, people's right to move about freely is so important that it's worth risking a substantial increase in coronavirus infections and deaths. And just 20% somewhat or strongly agreed with the statement, quote, I am willing to risk my own health in order to return to normal life. These findings are particularly striking, given that the largely low-income survey sample represents those with the most to lose from economic disruptions. But it's worth noting that there were some significant differences between white and non-white respondents. Non-Hispanic white respondents, for example, were more likely to somewhat or strongly agree that reopening the economy was worth increasing the risk of new coronavirus infections and deaths. RAND researchers plan to field this survey three more times between now and next summer. This will allow them to track how public opinion responds to another upsurge in cases and the possibility of additional physical distancing measures.
0: As promised, we'll close today with some advice for those of you who may have been glued to your televisions or constantly refreshing your browsers for election results this week. If you've been staying up late, watching intently, and worrying about the results, you're certainly not alone. In fact, Rand's social scientist and sleep expert Wendy Troxell was doing just that on election night. The next day, she woke up feeling sleep-deprived, foggy, and still anxious, she said. So, for those of you who can relate, Troxell has some science-based advice to help you get through. First, you can phone a friend, or text a friend email a friend. Just reach out to connect in some way. Don't isolate yourself. This is one of the most powerful and evidence-backed strategies to boost your mood during especially stressful times. Second, take a walk or engage in some kind of physical activity. The stronger the urge to veg out and do nothing, the more obvious it is that physical activity is the antidote, Troxel says. Research proves again and again that exercise is not only beneficial for physical health, but also is a highly effective way to manage stress. Third, practice mastery. Or put another way, accomplish something. This could be as simple as a chore around the house, water the plants, cook dinner, clean behind the refrigerator, or check off a task for work or school that's been nagging you. Whatever it is that will give you that sense of accomplishment, do that. You'll feel better. Finally, help someone else. Volunteering or doing a kind deed for someone is a great strategy to shake off self-pity and feel better about yourself, and maybe even feel better about the world. So, whether it's election season or any other stressful time in your life, we hope that you can use these tips to help relieve some anxiety.
1: RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis for more on what we covered this week check the show notes at brand.org/podcast
0: we'll see you next week